is Chelsea Higgs Wise. And I decided to start a show about being the biracial girl who was living her life, being half and half, never picking a side until one day the world informed me, girl, you're black. I'm from the listening to Race Capital with Chelsea Higgs-Wise and Kat Maudlin-Jackson. So it's Wednesday morning. Let's go ahead and jump right on in to what's on your radar, Kat. Well, the first thing I want to talk about is something I've been wanting to talk about for so long. Okay. Haven't had a good reason to bring it up on the show, <laughs> but good Lord, people, can we talk about Iran? Okay. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so... Thank you, Senator Tim Kaine, for doing something that lets me put this in here. He was a group of legislators who attempted to prevent Trump from starting war with Iran. Thank goodness. Yeah, you know, there's an idea. So he had this great idea to include an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, which would have required congressional approval before going to war with Iran because, you know, that used to be a thing that we did. The Republican Senate majority voted it down. It's really serious. This is a really serious thing that I would like to see more of on my Twitter feed. I would really like to see a little bit more attention to this. I have no idea what moves could be made. I think that there's a lot more to it that needs to go into it than just the nuclear deal. But yeah, Virginia legislators, if you're listening, you got any ideas? Shout them out. Shout them out. It was really interesting. So I visited the American Civil War Museum this past weekend with Francesca of Municipal Mania from right here at WRIR. And there was a part of the exhibition that talked about creating a generational war so that people, we don't even survive the war. And then by the time our generation comes, we don't really quite understand why we're still there. We just understand that we are. It's like this brainwashing of how we just get so complicit with war. War. And I mean, the idea of this tool started back in Civil War times. I mean, the fact that this was at the Civil War Museum, it just reminded me that these tools of control of supremacy and not just taking over our own land has been something that has been used by power for generations. So you're exactly right, Kat, that we have to be paying attention to what type of war we're talking about when we're entering war. And what does that mean? Because we're still in Afghanistan. And that is going to be a generational war if we can't find a way to get out of there. It's really interesting that you were saying that, that you saw that at the museum, because my first question that came to my head when you were saying that was, was that for our generation? Was that for the generation that followed the Civil War? The same, those following generations that saw the Daughters of the Confederacy inventing the myth of the lost cause? Like, which generation were right. we talking about Exactly. Here? And that's exactly what I put on there. If anyone's interested in jumping onto race capital stories and the highlights, that was one of the, the pieces that I just kind of put in there. It was like these generational narratives. It, it could have applied to any of them back then and even to now. So it was a really good question of this is interesting in what context this was in. Yeah, so you took the field trip. We took the field trip. It was totally random on a Sunday fun day. And Christy Coleman, the head curator, boss lady of the American Civil War Museum, was tweeting about how she felt really comfortable and confident that her work intentionality will live on even past her. And that's really the importance of setting up these spaces and these voices and these places 
process of storytelling that it's not just the one person, one lens that in that way it can stand the test of time. So she had tweeted about that and I woke up on Sunday and I was like, it's a great day. And I got Fran to go and, and visit that and we decided to share that because we love sharing these stories and what type of places we can learn from here in Richmond. And we were pleasantly surprised to be really honest because let's be real, talking about Confederate history for black women is not necessarily a space that we feel invited in. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to see ourselves. We're going to see our stories. We're going to be able to connect to this. So that's why it's been opened for a couple months now, I believe. And I haven't been able to really get excited about it yet because I'm so anxious about what stories will be told. But big ups, big kudos to that team. There was so much representation all over the entire space. The way they utilized the space was amazing. I got definitely got some African-American history DC museum vibes, which I'm good with. I think that's great that we took that kind of inspiration here in the formal capital of the Confederacy, Richmond, Virginia. Tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? So I mean that the visuals were there. The technology was there. They have, I mean, almost every inch of the space was utilized in some way of telling a story. So it was it was just really cool of everywhere you turn, there was a, another piece to learn, something else to hear. There were items in the floor. There were things right in the middle of the hallway that were videos. There were, there's a small theater of videos. I mean, in such a small space, they're able to tell so much. And a lot of museums, they have like this chronological thing that you have to go through. But we're getting out of that now with, with able to, to tell our story so it doesn't have to go in order. But it's the way the Civil War Museum, it still was able to give you a chronological piece because there was a TV stand where you could touch on every year throughout the Civil War and see about the fatalities and some other information based on what was happening throughout the different states. So just a really interesting space. I did not make it upstairs to the traveling exhibition that they have, but Francesca and I really came out inspired and really encouraging people to go. But yeah, just right here, we have so much history and storytelling and it was cool to just kind of be able to walk up in there on Sunday and and get my learn on. Yeah, I'm so excited that you guys went. I haven't had a chance to go yet. I'm really looking forward to it. It's definitely on my summer bucket list. Yes. But if you had to pick, I'm not going to ask you to do top three because I don't know if we'd have time for that. But (laughs) I will ask you, what was your third favorite thing? About the museum? Yep. Not your first favorite, your third favorite. Mm, That's interesting. You know, it's not just the one piece, because if it is, then I'm probably thinking of top two, but the way that they were able to intersect the stories. So that's my fa- my like my third favorite thing besides just the individual pieces, because there's, there's this one standing piece in the middle of it where they're, they're talking about one of the battles, and I don't want to screw that up. But when I tell you that they're able to, you're able to stand in front of one section and get three or four different takes of the same story. You know what I mean? So it's it's, so important. It's so important because it's not just about the North. It's not just about the South. It's about the enslaved people as well. It's about the poor people. And that's what I'm always looking for. And that's the challenge that the Civil War Museum had outside of just an African-American museum, right? African-American history, you're talking about that lens. But the American Civil War story, you have to talk about, I hate saying this, but all sides, not just both sides, but even the war that was happening within the people that were enslaved prior to the official former war that was started. Not to mention, they also gave great information for what happened after the war and asking questions. I know you asked me stuff, and so this is taking a little bit longer, but I really love the fact that they were asking questions on their exhibition. Literally, one of the questions was, 
are we truly free? <laughs> so it's not just after the war end. There's a whole other room that talks about the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, asking these questions and talking about other his systemic barriers that came up. So I would say my third favorite thing is just the way they were able to intersect those stories. And bravo, because I'm a pretty big critic of that. Yeah, I think asking questions is one of the best ways to invite somebody to engage in a story. Right. And just lastly, I'll say that I was able to go in, not focus on the traumatizing past, the Confederate flags. And I was I was able to just walk right past those and still find so much that connected right to me. So many stories that I could stop and feel inspired from that I didn't have to search for my own representation. So just bravo. So in other Virginia news, this week we have a slew of new laws going into effect. Yeah. July 1st, know what that means. Any big ones that are on your radar? Yeah. So on the lighter end, bars can advertise happy hour prices now. You know what? I was really <laughs> hyped about that. I was like, yes, that's always been a thing that was freaked me out. I was like, I could call. What are your specials? I'm sorry. We can't tell you over the phone. Right. Tobacco age is 21. So you got to be 21 to buy cigarettes now. Yep. It's got a lot of mixed, you know, mixed feedback. But yeah. And just really working in the realm of marijuana justice, I have to ask of what this is going to mean for our young black boys that are using tobacco, mm. like that paraphernalia to roll certain things or even with hemp and CBD. So now are they going to continue to be criminalized and targeted because now they can stop you for these certain tobacco products, right? It's not just about marijuana is illegal, but now we're still opening the door for that. So understanding how some of these laws create other ways of targeting black and brown, especially black and brown youth. That's a really good point. Yeah. And so on the heavier end, there's a slew of new laws on the books designed to stop the bleeding from Virginia's evictions. So there was that study from Princeton that came out indicating that Virginia has some of the highest rates of eviction in the U.S. The new laws, among other things, will give tenants who've received eviction notice more time to pay rent and fees. Right. And they will also limit the number of legal actions a landlord can take. The landlord-tenant laws here in Virginia are outrageous. So what this really is, is creating some sort of equity for the tenants that need more rights and access to just help and support. And if anyone is in that business, you will know that right now the landlords have way too much say. And Eviction Lab, RVA, is doing a lot of work here in Richmond to not just give more time, but also look at the root cause of a lot of the evictions here in Richmond, Virginia. So Yeah, and Senator Jennifer McClellan was responsible for a lot of that. She yep. put a lot of legwork into that. And we heard that she's thinking about running for governor, according to Virginia Mercury. Yay! If you know anything about me, I've, I've been a big Jen McClellan fan for a while. And I think that it is time for a black woman governor. I think she's ready. I've had a lot of mansplaining done to me in the last couple of weeks about women politicians and after the Arthur Ashe piece and just like, are are women able to take that leadership? Do they do they get the crowd hype at the gala? Did did Jen give the, the, the governor speech that got everyone ready? I don't know, because I felt like Terry did a really good job. First of all, I didn't go to the gala, but number two, that's, yes, Kat, your face is correct, but that is really the man explaining I've been getting of like, well, I just don't know how she's going to do in front of the crowd. Yes, that is so important. And number two, I don't even agree with you. I think Jen is great on a mic, but it's also like, who's going to work this policy, right? (laughs) Jennifer McClellan is the person that you can invite and ask about legislation. And she is one of the most 
I hate to use the word articulate because it's used in <laughs> such a terrible way with black women just to say that we're educated. But truly, when we're talking about legislation and able to break it down so that we understand, I've never heard a Virginia legislator do it like Jennifer McClellan. And that's why she's everywhere when it's session or after session to explain it for everyone because she's the best at it. And that's who I want in our Virginia legislator to do. And that's why I wanted our governors to be able to break this down, not just create excitement in a crowd. And I guarantee you that a Black woman is going to bring all kinds of excitement. So please don't do that in the mansplaining. And I've heard that nationally, too. Ah. Kamala did it wrong. Warren doesn't have the fervor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and also just kind of going to the debates, right? We had the debates last week. Everyone talked about that. I will say that Elizabeth Warren stood out to me. Julian Castro stood out to me. We have to talk about Kamala Harris giving it to Biden. Ching, ching, ching. <laughs> the second night, which was wonderful, right? And then the next day, Biden coming out just as terrible. What Biden said on Friday after the debates, he said, we've got to recognize that kid wearing a hoodie may very well be the next poet laureate, not a gangbanger. That is what Joe Biden said to a crowd trying to change the narrative about black children, black youth. And then Senator Cory Booker came right on in and said, this isn't about a hoodie. It's about a culture that sees a problem with a kid wearing a hoodie in the first place. Our nominee, Joe Biden, needs to have the language to talk about race in a far more constructive way. End quote. That is so true when we talk about narratives and who do I feel safe with representing me? Joe Biden, you walking around talking about that hoodie? Right now, that makes me worried. That takes me back to Trayvon Martin. It takes me back to Woody. When they see us, so, bye. <laughs> I mean, that's just where I am with that. And I understand electability. I understand all of this. But it just goes back to this whole, we don't want to be too center. We don't want to be too center. And there is a New York Times opinion by David Brooks out there titled, Dims, Please Don't Drive Me Away. I've been seeing some moderates here in Richmond sharing this article, some, especially some Pete fans, just saying, hey, we don't like it that the Dems are going so far left. The narratives and the topics are saying it's so far left. It's divisive. These loud liberals are going to chase us away. Well, it, it really goes back to the stories of like when they see us. Netflix reporting that over 23 million accounts worldwide have watched that series of when they see us. And we all know that each account probably got three or four people on there, right? We all share an accounts for real. So it's way more than 23 million. But that means that people are interested in Black stories. And these Black stories make for better policy. And that's all that these people in the center don't want. That's what they want to shut out. They want to shut out our stories. They don't want to hear our trauma. They don't want to hear our tears. That's just too much for them. And then I keep hearing about this fiscal conservative when it comes to money, economy. Looky here, if our social problems are not met, then we're going to continue to have the poverty and the eviction and the hunger that are causing these economy fiscal problems that you are concerned about in the first place. Yeah, economic issues are social issues. Come on. Economics is a social science. Come on, y'all. Stop separating the two just for your own comfort. Speaking, I just got to bring up Alabama. We all know that Alabama just needs to be thrown in the trash, <laughs> right? We, we get that. But a black woman is now being charged with manslaughter because she, quote unquote, initiated an argument with the father of her baby, ends up getting shot in the stomach herself, and is now being charged manslaughter for the death of her baby because she, quote unquote, initiated this argument. And that's what these laws in the South are really doing to Black women, Black women, Black women. 
as well as some poor women as well. But that's why the abortion laws right now are so important as well, because women can now be charged with manslaughter. I mean, with the death penalty in some states because of choosing to terminate their children. So this idea of protecting life at incarcerating and criminalizing these women, which we know there are black women, that's why Planned Parenthood has the, the shirt stand with black women. It's not just because, yes, the diversity, black women have a voice. No, it's specifically for these rules, these laws that are going into place about what our life means versus the life of an unborn fetus. That's what these stand with black women shirts and signs and paraphernalia mean. So make sure you get it right. Make sure you understand what these messages are doing. And I mean, Virginia ain't too far to the South yet and depends on where our election goes this November. And if you're interested in local races that are looking to unseat Republicans that are in favor of these types of very harmful abortion laws, there is a delegate, Josh Cole, up in Fredericksburg that is running that would love some support there. Last, just to put this out here, that there's a poll tax going on in Florida now. In 2018, after November races, many people were gaining the right to vote. Well, then Republicans came right on in and said, we're going to slap a poll tax. Before you get your right to vote again, you have to pay these fees. So stop telling me that these issues of busing and things don't matter because they're the same tools that are coming about to be used against us. Also, some good news, though, over at the border, it looks like that doctors are going to be let into the border because the children, including infants and expectant mothers, are cold, dirty, hungry, and sleep deprived. So that is a win for the crisis down at the border. And taking it right back here to Richmond and Virginia and our art scene. There's a lot of going on. We love our art here in Richmond. Excited for our guest today, but just kind of reminding everybody here that we are a street art city. The murals create the space, it creates the excitement. And we're going to hear some stories today about some of the first street art festivals that were brought here in Richmond and how a company called Art Wino was brought into Richmond to complete this festival rather than using the artist right here in Richmond. And in that like a narrative that we hear quite often. Instead of using the talent that's here, the resources that are here, we bring in other people. But what did that do to the artists here that were trying to survive? What did it do to our mindset here in Richmond? And, and what did it do for Black artists and Black art here in Richmond? So this week on the show, we're welcoming the crew from All City Art Club. Hear what I say. We are the business today. Fuck shit is finished today. All T and J. We the new PB and J. We dropped the classic today. We did a tablet of ashes today. The joints with the matches and ashes away. We dash away. Donna and Dixon, the pistol is back. All right. Welcome, welcome today. We have the All City Art Club folks joining us on Race Capital. Welcome, y'all. Hey, how you Hi. doing? Why don't we go ahead and introduce y'all. Uh, start over here with Mr. Genius. I'm Silly, I guess the founder of All City Art Club. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, uh, the idea guy, I guess. Hey, Silly. What's up? <laughs> I'm Dom. I guess you can call myself the digital experience designer of All City Art Club. So anything that you see online, the website, I help with the Instagram, anything you see online, most likely it's me. <laughs> so y'all are already online, the Instagram, where could they follow you guys right now? And find yes, you? on the website, it's allcityartclub.com and the Instagram is allcity.artclub. Okay, black woman back there doing it, <laughs> yes. Hey. Hey. Uh, my name is P.T. Carroll. I usually play the shadows. This is probably my first time actually speaking out, but I am the partner of Silly the Genius over there, and together we're Black Belt Jones. Ooh. So we're just under this this nice creative umbrella trying to get the word out. 
Very cool. Very cool. So I had the pleasure of meeting Silly. Has it been like a year now? Yeah, but yeah, about around a year. Around a year. Jess, Jess was here. I was really looking to talk to grassroots artists. I was writing a piece in RVA Mag about black artists in the South Side. And you were one of the first names that came up. And I sat with you and you were able to tell me a lot of this history in Richmond that I just didn't know and understand. Even though walking, driving in the streets, I see all this art on the wall. Richmond has the name of the art city and the walls and the art are changing Richmond. And when I sat with you, it even turned my lens to a completely different view of understanding you know, the same narrative of what it always is, right? It's always a system that's behind the magic that we're looking at and exactly how Richmond came to be and how Richmond had all this art on the wall. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about the history of Richmond from y'all's view of the mural, like how the mural life came to be in Richmond? Well, Richmond kind of always been known as an art city just because of VCU. VCU was, I think, still is considered one of the best art schools in the country. So there's a ton of vacant property, just like up and down Broad Street. And uh, they brought in Shane, uh, I can't remember his last name, but he runs Art Wino based out of D.C. So they brought him in and he brought in, what was it, the G, the G50, G20? It was uh, something like that, like yeah. G40 something. Yeah. Yeah, was, 40, yeah. yeah, so he brings the G40. And when is this? You're saying this they... This is like 2000... 12? 12. Yeah, somewhere around there. 2012. So yeah, so they bring the G20. And, and what is the G20? It's a like a traveling mural festival, like an art festival. A lot of they bring a lot of uh, street artists and pop up art galleries and music events and whatnot. So it's like a week long celebration of lowbrow art, I guess you could call it. So yeah, it's a, it's a big success, and I guess they kind of just spin that off into the Richmond Mural Festival. So. They have this plan. They're going to paint like 100 murals in five years or whatever. So they fly in all these internationally known artists. A lot of artists that I am a fan of. And they just proceed to paint murals Mm -hmm. all over the city. So the murals kind of like a precursor to gentrification at this Mm. point. So like the murals come up, the murals go up, the murals attract tourists, tourists spend money. So and then all these businesses start popping up and. There was the thing with the bike race that was kind of like a part of it. Like, come see the bike race. Enjoy all the art. Yep. You know, we'll have all these pop up. It was definitely marketing. It yeah. seemed more marketing and the local artists are like, you know, this isn't for this isn't for the city. Mm. It was mainly for tourism, for, you know, to get new people to come into Richmond. And you have all of these artists that are from here. You know, you didn't have to fly anyone out. We could have just drove 20 minutes from <laughs> South Side or North Side or the East or West End. And it didn't go like that. And that really, when we're talking about gentrification and talking about how to do something with integrity from the ground up, right there, that decision of who and for who and by who puts us in a completely different trajectory of now here we are and realizing that so much of the art isn't Richmond art. It's not by Richmond artists. And what that means for groups like you all, All City Art Club, and how long has All City Art Club been around? About two years, maybe? Yeah, yeah about, about two, two years. years. And how did you all come to be? It's really like, uh, you know, it's really me just out of anger of wanting to like be involved in a lot of the street art and whatnot that was happening, but not being able to get in. Like you just running into like closed doors. I remember they put out a, a call for the, 
I think it was a street art festival or the mural festival. But they put out this call on like Facebook saying, if you know of any wall space, message us, like send us addresses. So of course, you know, me being want to be proactive, I sent them pictures, I sent them addresses, and they kind of gave me this lukewarm response of like, uh, that's a little too far off the beaten path. Oh, yeah, we want to focus on like the art district and whatnot. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself like, yo. Who cares where they are? They're in the city. So just, you know, just drive over here and see them. But they had a different plan. So uh, I decided to take it upon myself. Like, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. And I, I remember just from my perspective, the footwork that he actually put in. I don't think a lot of people actually understand how many no's and how many how, how much resistance was was pretty much received by these people. And then at the end of the day, we're trying to express ourselves of course but also make a point that this is community work people need this and what do you mean by people need this for for example when we did a, the first mural we did out in the whole street i forgot the address but it was the first time we were out there 90 some degrees it's hot and i'm just you know looking around just being observant i used to go to silly's house he used to uh, live not too far out the way over there out south side and i remember he used to just drive around he would just take me to the street show me walls and everything and i'm just get a feeling i'm getting a feeling for the environment as he's talking i'm just looking around i'm like yo i was like the whole energy the vibe the shift is is different and i was like there's there's something there's a lack of attention or you can tell that, that there's something's not being done in the area right so fast forward we get to the mural and it's hot and you know we're just out there and we're, we're just grinding it out and at first you know as an artist i'm like oh it's an opportunity to get my name out there you know that's like first oh wow i'm about to go hard on this wall i'm about you know and then so that was my initial thought and then all of a sudden people just start coming out they didn't have to. They're just walking by. Some people didn't speak, but a lot of people did speak. A lot of people beeping their horns. A lot of people saying, hey, thanks for covering up that wall. We've been living here for X amount of years. And it's just been this ugly wall, you know? And people don't really understand the fact that people's environments is part of their psycho, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what the word is. Like, it, 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 it really affects their way of living. Sure. You know what I'm saying? More than just, oh, that that building is abandoned. Nobody cares about it. Nobody's going to see it and think anything of it. Yeah, people look at it and they think right. something of it. Absolutely. They look at it and say, people don't care about me. Right. Well, it's the broken window concept that you know people talk about all the time. Yeah. yeah. So going out there and doing our first mural, I actually like saw the power of art and doing it in that community specifically you know what i'm saying like it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a neglected thought right you know and the fact that community needs that i mean just even needing the process right of seeing it go up seeing you all doing the work yeah right? that was one of the like the things that they, they said a lot oh man there's some brothers out here doing this. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, i didn't even know we did this type of thing right. yeah. and, uh, that mural that print is talking about that's actually at sea farm seafood at 3062 whole street okay yeah, <laughs> i actually took my brother's children out there when they first painted it and the first thing my oldest nephew said he was 14 at the time he said i love the black babies oh and that mm. was that's important right you know i can i love you know i love to see the girl in the strawberry jar i love to see you know bernie sanders down all street but they don't look like like me right they don't look like me right and in that area in Hall of Hall Street that's a terribly forgotten area and of course you know that's that's that beat that's off the beaten path that they were that, exactly you know that they were trying to explain to silly but that creativity that's the responsibility that we have once you choose that craft is that mm -hmm. people will see your work people will see you then they they see themselves 
And the show is called Race Capital. So I was sitting here thinking, I wonder if race will come up authentically. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, every every time that I'm out there, it comes up. I painted a mural on Northside, on Brooklyn Park, on the side of Boogaloo's Diner. 210 West Brooklyn and, uh, Park. You better come through, black woman with the marketing. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm painting. And like in the mural, there's like, it's all like cartoon characters, but they're all black. And the biggest character is like, it's a black woman with a big, like, big blonde afro. But uh, I'm like on a ladder painting, you know, headphones and not really paying attention. Lady walks by with her daughter and she stops and she's like, mommy, she has hair like me. Mm. So it's like little things like that where, like, you know, it doesn't seem like much. But oh, like God. that's a big part of like what we do. Every time we're out there, right. somebody stops just to point out that like, mm. oh, yo, it's some black people out here doing this. Right. Yeah. Representation matters because we don't see it. We don't we don't even think that that's part of the choice of how this impacts the community. And you mentioned the community needing that, but I'd also just like to ask you all, how do you all need this as your form of expression? Because this isn't right now, you all aren't able to do this full time and support yourselves, right? So this is still really passion driven for you all. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's exposure. I could do a thousand gallery shows, but you won't see me until you come to the gallery. But I paint this mural on this this intersection you know, a thousand people drive by it every day. And now they're they're more aware of me. Even, you know, they might seek me out to buy something or whatever, but it's an exposure that I wouldn't get any other way. And for my part, just putting, just being able to create a platform for that online, that's so important because that's where our, that's where we'll get the furthest reach. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, it's, it's all hashtags and, and marking locations. I'm currently in the works of getting the murals made into Pokestops for Pokemon Go. Oh. Right, because I I play with I play Pokemon Go and a lot of the murals are Poke Stops, but so cool. on that one strip of Hull Street, it's very bare. Right, and I'm like I'm sure those kids around there play want or at least want to play Pokemon Go too, but there's nowhere to get more Pokeballs. Right, so that's that's in the works now. And it's these important intersections that you all have to do that it's just more than going to the wall and painting. I guess the importance for me is the experience. Like I said initially and the first thought was completely different to what i'm learning during the process from having to see like i said before the the nose and silly coming to the house I'm like man we ain't get a dog you know what i'm saying like having one of those conversations or having one of those yo, i don't know man like just kind of observing it and learning what persistence is like learning about the power of community reaching the children and all these other things so as i'm working with these guys and i'm out here on the field with them and um, I'm learning, then I like to try to incorporate that with my art as well, you know what I'm saying? And how I can kind of give that back with my expression. So just the overall experience is is a thing for me. So what does it take to stand up All City Art Club and survive as artists, as this platform? What do you all's day-to-day -day look like? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mm. It's a very little sleep, I can tell you that on top. Very early text messages and emails. <laughs> yes, just a lot of constant communication and just quick acting. Like, you know, I work, I hold down a regular full-time job, but outside of that, it's... More than full-time. You yeah, work yeah, I more work than 40 lot. hours. But yeah, when I'm not at work, I'm still working. You know, it's like emails and phone calls and text messages and, you know, doing research, like scouting walls, finding out who owns the businesses, going out to meet people, a lot of cold calls, a lot of pitch meetings, just a constant grind to just, 
it's a lot. You, it's hard to ex- explain until you actually experience it. It just includes a lot of talking to people, which I think a lot of young people are afraid to do, especially as professionals. You know, if Silly was afraid, he would just think about how many people he wouldn't have gotten no's from. You need right. to get no's to get a yes. Mm. And you have to speak to people and ask the question in order for them to even make that decision. Right. So I've been taking it upon myself to improve my correspondence in email, to improve my correspondence in text message, to improve on my speech, because that's your first impression. You know, they see me and then as soon as I, as soon as we open our, they see us for one as young black people and they already had that notion of this is going to be some, some mess mm-hmm. or this is going to be this. Right. And as soon as we open our mouths, as long as we know what we're talking about, we have the facts, we have the numbers, which are especially important. Mm. <laughs> we can, we'll at least have that confidence to go in mm-hmm. and not say, not so much demand a yes, but at least solicit a a maybe. And Dom, what else do you do out in this world? Oh, I model. Yes, for the past, it's almost 10 years. I'm almost reaching my 10 years modeling. And Young self. <laughs> just like I said earlier, once you take on that craft, you have a responsibility. And so once I started modeling, I just started modeling for myself to boost that confidence so I wouldn't be afraid to stand in front of a crowd. And once I started doing that, once I started doing bigger shows, I had so many people come up to me saying, thank you for being here. Because when I saw you, I saw myself. Wow. And I see the same thing for the art. Like long as what I'm doing helps a community see themselves in it, I'm going to keep doing it. Wow. Regardless if it's for free, if it's for pay, I'm going to, um, that's my passion. Look at all this melanin magic. So you <laughs> may be behind the scenes for All City Art Club, but you have a whole other front-facing yes. platform that you're doing and working on as and well. I, and I still work. <laughs> and you work a full-time job. Yes. Yep, yep. Sounds about right. Uh-huh. It's good stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All the rewards over here. But yeah, man, she, 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 definitely, she, she definitely does her thing, man. We talk about you. We talk about you at the house sometimes to say how proud we are because you out here, you out here working hard. Thank you. <laughs> you gotta lift her up. <laughs> you know yes, so, we need that, and we we, we come, we all come visit each other, and we talk about what we're gonna do, and that's always the catalyst for us to do something else. Mm-hmm. Every single time yeah. that we all get together, and we're like, oh yeah, I've been doing this, or I talked to this person, and it's like the light bulb goes off, and then we're already on to the next thing. Right. So we inspire each other. There's no way I could have put all city art club together without these people and, and there's more like there aren't here today but this there's no way i could have come up with this concept by myself and put it into action and what you all are doing outside of this really does feed into this work and Absolutely. and learning that and, and hearing just what you're having to do day to day how that feeds into your work hmm my work personally is a little different where it comes from a very personal place and i'm trying to find a balance where it doesn't always have to be so personal, you know, because like I said, just like how I take the experience that we, we do with All City Art Club, I try to incorporate it with my art, but I can't art unless I have feelings. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I'm trying to really understand the balance of like having fun. It doesn't always have to be a task or, you know, I don't always have to, I guess, navigate through so much, you know, creativity is a gift, you know, and it's always on. So if I just want to do whatever, whatever, I have the liberty to do that. That's another thing I'm learning in All City Art Club, by the way. The way that we approach walls. I come from more of a graffiti culture. Okay. Um, it wasn't, but X amount of years ago, I started to think more of like the fine art of things or putting something on canvas. I mean, I just, I mean, I did my first 
full canvas maybe in 2011 first time ever but i've been doing graffiti for like all my life you know what i'm saying so it's also been an interesting shift a creative shift would you mind and anyone can jump in on this of explaining a little bit of the difference between the graffiti culture and the mural culture people especially certain folks might see that all as one but it is very different yeah there's a thing i, I bump into a lot with pitching murals because mm-hmm. people just assume graffiti and right. it's like no i don't want that here so graffiti is well, there's the, the stylistic difference of that it's mostly like letters versus the imagery of murals. But graffiti is mostly the illegal nature of, you know, the vandalism, quote unquote, side of mm, street art. Whereas murals are more like, you know. Uh, graffiti is the real stuff. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to say, all right. That's where you earn your stripes. You know what I'm saying? You can't just go out there, you know what I'm saying? And toys, no. You can't just go out there just putting your name up or thinking you can be sweet. You know what I'm saying? It it doesn't happen that way. You got to go out there. You got to put that work in and you got to run into some trouble sometimes maybe. And you got to risk it. That's graffiti culture. Graffiti culture, I was telling him when I first met him, I was like, graffiti culture is about taking. You know what I'm saying? Without permission. It's very, That's, very anti-establishment. Yes. Very. It sounds like, like black liberation is what it sounds like. Hey, man, like. I fit right in. It sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So I like se- self-determination yeah. is what it yeah, I mean, like. there really is a lot of it. Like, uh, you know, it gets a bad rap because of, you know, vandalism and illegal nature of it. But it's they've very, criminalized it. Yeah, right. they've criminalized it. But when you when you really stop to think about it, I liken it a lot to like to advertisement. Like mm-hmm. you didn't you didn't ask for that bus ad. You didn't ask for that billboard in your neighborhood. You didn't ask for Ooh. posters everywhere. You, you, know, you know, I go out, you go outside and you see like a cigarette ad. You didn't ask for that. That's basically vandalism. Two but miles be- down from the school. Yeah, but because <laughs> it's a corporate sponsored thing and makes deep. money, it's, it's okay. You don't even question it. Like it's, it's almost like programmed into you. But if somebody just went out there and painted the corner of a building, like, oh no, that's illegal. That can't be there. Mm. That doesn't belong. Especially somebody from that, like from that neighborhood, from that street. And then they're being told they're not allowed to do that there. Yeah. It's an ongoing internal war within the graffiti culture. I'm not sure how much it is now being that more so they're acceptable with street art and you see a lot of more murals mm-hmm. being out. So going back to the question as far as like what the difference is, street art more so, it's a little more curated. A little more intentional. It's yeah. a little more like if I if I want to say something very specific to the surroundings, like my neighborhood or whatever, I can I can say something that to an outsider they might not get it. They'll, they'll say, "Oh, that's some like pretty colors. That's cool, whatever." But if you live there, you know exactly what I'm talking about in this mm-hmm. in this painting. That's a big difference in like that's a big part of I guess like everybody's gripe with the bringing in of international artists. Yeah. To Richmond. It, it, like, we love them. They're great, sure. but they don't live here. They don't know what we're going through. They don't know what we're dealing with. Right. They can't speak to that yeah. specifically. There's we a disconnect. Can. Yeah, there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. I, we can, though. <laughs> but I think that's a big part of why they don't want us Ooh. to do it because it's like, we'll rock the boat and they don't, they don't want that. That's too much, you know, that's a disruptor and they don't, we don't want disruptors. We want. They sure don't. That's another thing <laughs> I've been hearing around a lot lately, too, which I think where I have like, conflicting thoughts is playing it safe like safe i don't you're an artist what is safe why you you should be expressing yourself with the full capabilities of what you can do you know what's that uh what's that saying like artists artists uh disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed oh like, 
Silly is coming in with all types of gems. I mean, but that's kind of like, you know, the the thing you kind of have to push the, you know, it's like, it's like music, you know, you have these like, like Kendrick's All Right or, you know, James Brown, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Like we have these songs that kind of, they cut through and they become these like anthems. But when it comes to the billboard, when it comes to the charts, when it comes to the money, those microwave pop songs Mm. are the ones that are going to sell. Mm. Bring it back. Right. Right. So it's the same with make the safe thing. You know, we want people to come out and take selfies. Like, I don't you know, I don't care about that. Like those people that are like showing up to take selfies are most likely aren't people that are involved, you know, or they aren't are not may not even be from there. They just oh, this is cool. I'm gonna take a picture and they just keep it moving. Right. We're worried about the people who catch the bus at that place every single day. Right. Even at the Richmond mural, that's a bus stop with no bench, no cover, no no cover, no nothing. No Just trash no. can, no nothing. Like Yeah. And and you all did for the first time I I had never really heard or seen much of this enrichment of this type of like block party to open up the mural and invite people in that happened at one of your latest murals, right? We were at the Richmond mural, which is at twenty six oh four Hall Street. Just wanted to plug that in really, mm-hmm. really fast. So I guess I got like tell where the, the mural idea came from. So about a year or two ago I did this illegal it was illegal uh did this illegal piece uh it was like a virginia roller and it only lasted like two days but people were like really excited about it so after it got buffed i figured like i'm gonna do something more very more specific to the city like that can last for a while people can you know go to it look to it as like some kind of like a monument or whatever so after a couple of you know no's for, for sites okay. we finally got a yes and we just went out there and painted yeah. you know it took about three days uh, we went out there, put it all up together, and then we decided, like, yeah, we should bring the people together to some kind of like cookout or a celebration or whatever. So um, we reached out to a bunch of people, like uh, Nomads Deli, Holistic LA. We got some website made by Don, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got some volunteers for like people brought out like chairs and tables and tents. And shout out to Hip Hop, to Hip Hop Henry, uh, DJ here at uh, WRIR's own. Yeah, Devin Michael, they volunteered to DJ, and it was. It was beautiful, man. Like it was, it happened a lot easier than I than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, me just tweeting like, "Hey, if I did a, a celebration, would people come out?" And everybody's like, "Yes, you have to make it happen." <laughs> and it just kind of, you know, came together from there. Mm-hmm. And kind of giving the backstory of that mural, I think I spoke about it at the time when we were out there and we had a little speech. But just to kind of bring that back up again, this idea was something for the people. I remember, you know, having our sit-ins and car rides and having those, those real talks and everything. And at first it was a, uh, the Virginia roller. He was like, yo, I want to do the Virginia piece, you know. And he was like, but I can't, it can't just be any wall. It has to be somewhere specific, you know. So I was like, word, word, you know. I was like, okay, cool, I get it. He does the Virginia roller, but it, it doesn't last long, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, yes, it's cool. But that, that, that effect really didn't get to really like come out the way. So then when the Richmond uh, idea came out, he said, yo, we're going to do this Richmond piece or whatever. And I was like, oh, this is it. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Oh, this is, this is going to be awesome because like I said before, just thinking of the beginning and how he was putting that footwork in and the importance of it and what it meant to the city, you right. know what I'm saying? What it meant to him as well. So when we did it and we were out there and by the time we were done, you know, or towards the end of the mirror, I was like, yo, silly. Remember we were talking about this. Remember we were in the car looking. Look at mm. the manifestation. Yeah. You know? And then bring it to the celebration when the people came out. You know, it's 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 a I don't know, man. I just think it's a beautiful thing. It's it a beautiful it's a beautiful thing. For for me know? personally, it was location. Mm. I've lived in Richmond, Chesterfield area my entire life. 
and I've passed through that intersection of Midlothian and Hall Street so many times. Right. And it was just bare. Like it was really naked. That the broad side of Atlanta's food service equipment, specifically, if you would like to visit, it was just naked. Like you said, there's no bus, there's it's a bus stop there, no bench, no trash can, literally just a vacant lot. Yeah. Now, every time you pass there, you see that Richmond mural and then the light hits it, that reflective gold. I mean, mm. you feel proud. Yeah. You feel so proud of it. And the the saying that the guys wrote at the top. Um. A crown, uh, a crown is already paid for. Bought, a crown is already bought and paid for. All we have to do is wear, wear it. it. Yeah. Mm. I've seen that on Instagram. Like people have quoted that so many times. Mm. And for you know, all of your pieces are, of course, based on Black people. But for just that mural, just to be hands, and then that saying with the chains, it's so powerful. And of course, like you said, the people from out of town, the people who aren't Black, or won't get it. But everyone who passes by, everybody who comes through there, gets it. It's yeah. so amazing. I was, I was just happy to put it online and be a part of it. <laughs> I think the idea you brought up, the space and the place is is really important, right? It's not just about the wall. I had never seen a group, you know, a, that demographic group of people plus children in that area, you know, Actually. having community, enjoying themselves, no violence, yeah. no mess. It's right. just people out there eating it's all love. on a bouncy love. house, dancing. Mm-hmm. It uh, was not, all love. Not to forget, you know, just to paint a picture, like we were saying, I mean, there's rubble everywhere. There's <laughs> yeah. broken concrete, no foundation. They went out and cleaned up. Yep. Yeah, you know, and we still had a fun time, you know what I'm saying? So even... Even in in that location, you know, what I'm saying you say people will still come together and show love, man. Like it's 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 real out there. And even if they couldn't stop and come by, the people who were at the light, yeah. just beeping <laughs> and staring, rubbernecking, like <laughs> mm-hmm. you you were there, you were there too. That day. yeah, yeah, it was it was a dope experience. I was really it was really awesome to be a part of that and be there and witness that. And like you said, just people will come together in in any place that there is that true like genuine inspiration that's happening that energy will just be will just attract people and that's what your art and that's what your all's platform is really about is creating a space for some intentionality for these messaging that are happening what else are you guys working on right now we're trying to i mean we're going to but you know to work doing the legwork of creating uh an online magazine of sorts through all city art club so we're, I mean, we're the like the front facing, the visual part, the murals and mm-hmm. the street art. Like that's that's cool, that's fun. But there are other people out there who have stories to tell, or who who deserve to have their story told. So photographers and writers, we're just trying to like put some stuff together and just create an an online platform that will tell stories of like you know we have friends that make art, but no one really knows who they are. Like someone right. someone should know. So you know, write a story about them. Or there's something happening, you know, in the community. Um, I am a member of the Narrative Change Collaborative. It's a grant program I entered and it started in January. And there's like five other people in the group with me. And they're all doing like amazing work and more people should know about them. So I could I could get their stories out there with with a magazine or whoever's story. So it's it's about you all. You all aren't, aren't just creating the work and giving us something to love on. You're also creating a whole platform to bring other people with you. Yes. Yeah. Through visual, the visual medium, the the written word, whatever, any any way we can get our stories out there and create art and just you know be loud and be seen 
And that's the hustle, right? Like it, it is, it's create whatever content you can, whatever platform you can to get the message to reach whoever is out there, whether they're reading it, listening to it, looking at it, like create that content so the messages and the truth can be out there and be heard. And so there's a pathway pipeline for others to follow so that they don't have to go through and hear all the no's that you all have heard. And I really appreciate you bringing up the no's each time because that's part of the process, right? Like you had to have the no's before you got the yeses. I know folks are really excited about what you all are doing and what's to come. So how can they follow each one of you all and specifically what's up next or what is out there? Because I know you all just finished something pretty new this past weekend as well, right? Yeah. yeah. The mural on, it's at the intersection of Hull Street and Broad Rock. So. 3102 Hull Street? Yeah. Yeah, I was about to mess it. I was on 3204. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was... Um, me and Prentice and another friend, Lonnie, another Richmond artist, amazing Richmond artist. Like I learned a lot from him before I became, you know, the silly that you, you all know today. And he had moved away to Atlanta, but he's back now. So, yeah, the three of us went out there and just, you know, just had fun with it and just painted another mural. But, yeah, more more murals going up and keep your eye out for the magazine. We'll, you know, we'll do something to to announce the launch. And just more merch. Like, uh, if you want, if you want to support, you know, we have a GoFundMe on the website. There's a donate tab. But if you want to get something for your donation, just buy a T-shirt. And just to piggyback off that, that's at allcityartclub.com. And I will be heavily working with the magazine. So if you, like I said, if you're a writer, even with other creative mediums, if you're a chef, you're an of, like I say, if you're an artist, whatever medium, if you're a photographer, if you model, please definitely hit me up for that. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, for my modeling pictures, you can see me at Dom, D-A-H-M, the model. I just... Worked with some local brands recently, Lost Queens, Mamer Sass, Sassy Jones Boutique. And I was recently featured on Fredericks of Hollywood Instagram, which was Ooh. huge, right? <laughs> and of course, I'm always doing my digital marketing. You can also contact me on that same page. If you need a website, if you're creating a platform online at all, mm -hmm. please hit me up and I will be more than welcome to help you. Awesome. Well, I ain't got much going on. Lies. <laughs> well, how can people know. follow you? Well, um, you can follow me at underscore PT Carol on Instagram. Right now, I'm just a work in progress. We do have some pretty cool merch coming up soon. Some really cool designs that I think people are going to like a lot. So I just want to emphasize that the merch is definitely going to be a hot topic. Nice. <laughs> nice. All the, all, the, all the merch sales go directly back into us doing more projects, more murals, more some more art shows, you know, trying to build a, a platform for other artists behind us. But yeah, just to bring it back to that, that I quote, like the crown is already bought and paid for all you do is wear it. It's like standing on the shoulders of your ancestors or just the people, you know, leaving the door open for the people behind you. Exactly. And so before you guys leave, I have to bring you on to do something that we do with all of our guests. What's your privilege? What's your privilege is a segment of the show where we invite our guests to identify what their privilege is and how they use it to dismantle the myth of white supremacy. So, Silly, I'm going to come to you first. OK, I am a cisgendered, able-bodied man. Mm -hmm. So the art world is still very much a boys club. And I don't really have the to worry about, you know, being pushed back against because of like my sexuality or my gender or whatever. So I, I can go out, do whatever I want and use my notoriety or fame or whatever to open the door for my friends that might not get that chance because of who they are. Right, right. Oh, for me, well, <laughs> I have pretty privilege. Mm. And regardless if, you know, I am black, I'm beautiful. And I know that. So I use that 
I walk in it and I confidently go up to anyone saying, you know, I want to be here. I want to do this. You know, I'll have bright eyes and a smile on my face <laughs> and saying, hey, you know, I want to be here. You know, I have to demand my space mm. just as much as any white model. Mm. I go to agencies and, you know, they'll say we already have a black model, but Whoa. then they'll have 16 models that look exactly the same because and they all have blonde hair and blue eyes. Right. So, you know, I use my pretty, pretty black privilege to mm. assert my space. I love that. Well, for me, you know, it's just a privilege to be alive and no man is greater than the next. You know, I don't believe in any kind of ranking system or anything uh, and fear no man but God. So my privilege is believing in myself. And because I have the, also the privilege of being black, mm -hmm. I can really show them when I express myself that I, ha you know, there's no control over me. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's really my 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 motivation when it comes to that i love black people when they talk about privilege it just sounds different right and from when you Definitely. hear white people talk about it because it's it's part of the struggle that's the struggle of just being black and having that privilege is part of the role my privilege is being able to have a any type of platform to have access to these artists and open any kind of doors that i can for these artists seeing everything that Silly's doing. I've been inspired by your work for the last year. So helping any way that I can, whether it's, it's NCC or the Mural Block Party, like I'm one of y'all's biggest fans. And I have the privilege of saying, hey, I have a show, come talk on that. Hey, you know, there are great opportunities. You should go apply for that. So I just use that privilege and my knowledge of the institution to open up doors and opportunities. And that's a privilege for me because I get to watch my friends do some really cool stuff. And thank, thank you for that, though. Yeah. Like, yes, you know. thank you. <laughs> before, I, before I met you, we were struggling. <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of like kickstarted, you and Lauren kickstarted a lot of this. Lauren for writing that article. Yeah. And you like meeting you and you just like pointing out, hey, yo, you should do this. You should talk to this person. Like that really like opened the door for a lot of the stuff that we're doing today. So yo, thank you. And that stuff is totally free, y'all. We can all do that for each other. There's nothing stopping us from, right. from just opening up those doors and connecting one another because we're all magical. Once we make that connection, stuff is going to happen. And yeah, big shout out to Lauren. I'm glad that you brought her up in that writing. What was that story of how can people find that? That was a really uh, good what one. What is that story? It's that on... was on Scalawag Magazine. Yeah, Scalawag Property, Magazine. Poverty, and Aerosol, Street Arts Impact on Richmond. I'm going to keep you with me, Dom. I'm going <laughs> to grab you in my pocket for the promoter. Well, thank you all for being with us. All City Art Club. Keep watch, y'all. Some big things happening. Six in a I always appreciate talking with street artists, especially ones that have been around Richmond for so long and understand the landscape. I'm inspired by them every time. I am always surprised when I see the new art pop up and I can now recognize who these artists are. And it makes me wonder how many people don't know them, don't realize that they're right here in our backyard. And there are so many institutions and commissions and people here in Richmond that use artists for different ways and have the resources to support these artists. So imagine a world where the commissions, the, the festivals used a completely different strategy of recruitment, of stepping outside their normal network, their normal list of people that they would call, and they had to find someone that they had never worked with before. They sat down with them, heard their story, and also was just open to their art. 
imagine what that would do for so many artists, for our own economy, for our own livelihood, if those in power with influence didn't make that quick text message to the people that they've always worked with. And we just learned more about what was happening in the city. And it makes a stronger connection, too, between the artists and the viewers and the Richmonders who are viewing it. Because, you know, it's like they were saying in the interview, I loved how they were talking about you have the piece of art across the street from the bus stop. And they know that bus stop and they know the people there. Mm. And so they're able to create a piece that's a lot more relatable than somebody who doesn't know that bus stop, who isn't familiar with the inner workings of the city and that particular what would otherwise be a random spot for somebody who's not from here, who's not familiar with that part of town. They can make a better connection. Yeah, and that's why it's so important that we talk about place, space, and time. This is our place. We're creating the space very intentionally, and the art that comes out is based on the time period that we're living in. And why don't we value that here in Richmond more? And that's why it's so important that we learn more and, and hear more about the and why we say formal capital of the Confederacy so often to remind people about the place that we're standing in. So when it comes to development, when it comes to economy, when it comes to transportation, and when it comes to art, our place, space, and time, and who's really carrying that lens, all of that matters. Well, that's all we got for you this week on Race Capital. We'll catch y'all later. I'm from the art.